answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you're here this weekend as we are talking about financial matters. Of course, myself and my co-host here, Pat, we are both financial planners. Certified financial advisors, and um, we are. Uh, what are we? <laughs> I want to hear. <laughs> I would just try to help people with financial situations. I don't know if I'm half asleep as I'm starting the program, but, but no, we try to. People come to us, they ask questions about their money. We did a series of workshops in the last few weeks, and I actually did some myself, and I realized a couple things. One is. The desperate need that people have about finances. For quality advice. For quality advice and how difficult it is to determine good, good advice bad. from bad advice. Um, well, and part good of the, product from bad product. And part of the reason we've been doing this for a quarter century, this radio program, is to help educate. And we understand that most people don't want to be financial experts. Most people, this is kind of a necessary evil in their life, something they have to do. It's a chore part of life they have to deal with. Yeah. Um, but we also think it's important that people have enough education so they can make wise decisions. Because without some basic education, who knows what you're going to get sold. So, and just our industry in general. Is against you. Is against you. It is, it's, look, I don't know if that's the right way to address people to get them to listen to you to say, look, but we are investment advisors. We own a firm where we manage people money monies. We are a fee-based financial firm, fiduciary-based firm, which means that we charge a fee a little bit every year based on the size of your account to manage your money and give you good. And you're financial telling us advice. because we have our own comp, our own vested interest. We have our own vested interest. We want you we want you to become a client of our firm. And if it makes sense for okay. us and for you. But this is why it's so difficult to be a consuming financial services in the modern world. Come across an article about Wells Fargo financial advisors struggled. It's the title of this. And this came from the Wall Street Journal. 13,000 financial advisors are at Wells Fargo. And Your bank. They used to be called stockbrokers. Stockbrokers. They call them financial advisors. It's the old. And some are financial planners, good financial planners, and some just sell financial products. It's the it's a combination of how they got here was the old Wachovia, was it not? A couple other large brokerage firms sold to Wells Fargo. And they're in, in their branch advisors as well. Right, which means that they're in the bank. So 13,000, here's what it says. 13,000 financial advisors heading for the exits which means that they have 13,000 advisors. The bank is worried that they're going to leave. In order to stem that tide, the bank is luring new advisors with six-figure bonuses while asking money back from those who didn't meet performance goals. And this is according to interviews with current and former Wells Fargo advisors. What's that mean? Well, and this isn't... This is how they all operate. That's right. <laughs> this is, this is you're not, not just picking on Wells Fargo, Barrow Lynch. Well, we're not, we don't operate like this. And many firms, investment advisory firms, don't operate like this. But these are fee-based and commission-driven large, what they call, wirehouses. Wirehouse comes from the name that there was a dedicated wire to make trades onto the New And they have to pay exchange. people to go there because there's now more, more financial advisors that are independent than with the big banks. That's right. Because of the conflicts of interest. So they're offering candidates bonuses as much as 200% of their revenue from prior years, recruiters said, which is around 25 to 50% points higher than competitors. So this is what happens. Let's say I'm working over at Bank of America, and I am a stockbroker stockbroker at Bank of America, and last year I generated a million dollars in fees. And commissions. And commissions, right? A million dollars. Wells Fargo calls me up and says, hey, Pat, 
you got a great thing going over here at Wells Fargo. We'd like you to join us. I'm like, nah, I'm not really interested. I'm doing okay. Generated a half a million dollars. This in is fees. exactly how this industry works, by the way. And then the recruiter Matt, says, not, "This is exactly what happens every day." And the recruiter says, "Hey, I'll give you a million dollars up front if you come over to Wells Fargo." I'm like, what's the catch? And they're like, "Here's the catch." It's a forgivable loan that needs to be paid back with over five years based upon... Or 10 years or whatever the time, five to 10 years. A quota, which means if you hit your quota, we're going to forgive the loan. But if you don't hit your quota, we will not forgive the loan. So I go over there. They say, pay this thing back in five years. As long as I hit my quota, they're going to forgive one-fifth of the loan or $200,000. They give me the million dollars up front. And it's not taxable because it's a loan. Because Just it's like a if loan. you took a loan on your house, it's not taxable. But it's once, only taxable once it's forgiven. Once it's forgiven, and it becomes a taxable event. So, am I conflicted in doing this? Oh, yeah. Why? Why am I conflicted? Well, now I have a quota that says, regardless of what happens, in my economic best interest, I'm going to actually have to pay them back money, as was quoted in this article in the Wall Street Journal these brokers at Wells Fargo that are not hitting their quotas are having to pay back the loans. Right. So you're a broker with this stress of if I don't have my production number up, if I don't sell enough financial products, I'm going to have to pay this loan back. I don't have the money anymore. We just remodeled the house. And does every financial product have the same commission structure, Scott? No, they don't. They don't. Some pay the advisors all up front. Some pay it a little bit every year. Some are fee-based like us that... We get paid every year based on the size of the Most of these banks also require a certain amount of lending that they refer uh, clients over to lending. I talked to someone not long ago that had like 20-some-odd million bucks with his broker at one of the big firms and had a loan on it, like $2 million. I said, why in the world do you have a loan on this? Well, because I did. And the excuse he gave was terrible. Because I'm like, I know there's pieces of your portfolio that are earning, that aren't, your your portfolio is not 100% in stocks. Yeah, he had sold his business, and you needed. They needed to to have so much yeah, in. They make money off non financial advice. Broker makes money on stuff like that. So, this is why it's hard to be a consumer in today's world because even the biggest banks slash may not have your uh, what's best for you in mind. Well, that's why you're seeing Pat. You're seeing more independent advisors. You're seeing more firms like ours that are uh, getting larger. And yeah. our fiduciaries, they're not commission-based. Yeah, I mean, we've grown quite a bit over the years. We've got $8 billion or so under our management, about 12,000 clients. We've grown uh, in a variety of different cities. And it's in part by finding other like-minded advisors that are independent that say, let's join forces together. Let's create a national firm where whether somebody's in Topeka, Kansas, or in Timbuktu, that's in Africa, I guess, so <laughs> yes, okay. but, but <laughs> Florence, Oregon. Yeah, they the, could the, get. But but Scott, think about this though. Why do people use Wells Fargo or Bank of America financial advisors versus an independent? Because they know that they're probably not going to get their money stolen, or they're going to invest in a Ponzi scheme. They have a better brand. That's right. They have a better brand. Charles Schwab is the same thing. Charles Schwab. There's a good chance you go in there and you meet one one of those people. You might get a fee based account. You might get something that they say doesn't cost you anything, or you may end up with a large commission product. You don't know. You do not know. Yeah. Or fidelity or. Well, most independent firms, we're going to take calls here in just a moment. Well, most independent firms. Custody yeah. at Schwab or TD or fidelity. Yeah. Like or, our clients. I mean, the way our, the way you can be protected by working with an independent is when you have your assets held at an independent custodian. So the way it typically works is you'll have an account at, Fidelity or Schwab or TD Ameritrade or Persian or one of the, an independent firm, and your in your independent investment advisor acts as an advisor to that account, manages the account, but you main, you maintain full control of it, and it's um it typically has insurances uh, through the in party um, independent firm, so that's how you that's get those protections. But you know it and it really comes down and this is just one of the layer you're talking about, Pat. But uh, it's just important to be educated, and we're not here saying our firm is the best in the world. Although we might believe that, but there's other great firms out there. There's other great advisors out there. Yes. And we think for most Americans, they benefit by having a relationship 
with a good financial advisor. If they can find a good financial advisor. If they can tell the difference between good and bad. Well, if you get educated enough, you'll be able to tell the difference between good and bad. And that's why we spent some time talking about it. So Fair enough. We're going to take some calls. If you want to join us, 833-99-WORTH is the number. Again, that's toll-free, 833-99-WORTH. We're in Southern California talking with Art. Art, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Hi, uh, Art. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, thank you. Um, um, I just uh, had some questions. Um, I'm a retired uh, government employee from California. I, I retired back, or I separated, I should say, I retired from California back in 2015. And in 2018, I returned uh, back to work for the state again as a retired annuitant. So, yep. so I'm drawing a drawn a nice pension and then also now the retired annuitant money so and what i did is i actually been putting uh, about 1250 dollars into uh roth 457 but i didn't know if that was probably the smart thing to do uh considering i don't have any bills other than my house i have no bills at all no car payments nothing so how old do you are i didn't know if it was wife. i am 56 and how much longer do you plan on working uh, well, I plan on working probably for about to be another three years. Uh, I don't know. I, I plan to leave the state. Okay. That, that was uh, so the plan question. to leave the state of California? Yes. Uh, okay. Probably after I'm finished. So probably by around when I'm age 60 or so. Okay. And how much do you owe on your home? Uh, right now I owe like about 120. And what, and what's the value of the home? Uh, the house is probably worth about maybe 300, 325, somewhere in that area. And if you were going to move out of state. Where in Southern California are you? Uh, I'm down south, east of San Diego. Okay, I was just thinking, Southern California, okay. the house at three hundred thousand. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, if you were to leave the state today, where would you go? I'm thinking about either Nevada or Arizona. Okay, so and the reason we asked this question was, and it sounds like you're probably in kind of a the high desert area. Is that right? Like Temecula, or yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So <laughs> what's go, it matter? Go a little further, and their tax situation changes dramatically. Um, so, and the reason we ask the question is, is the, the the so at least in my mind, the question is, do you pay down this mortgage? Are you, you married? Yes, I am. And does your wife work? Uh, no, she's not working anymore either. And are the kids uh, all? I also wanted to say, kids, the kids are all gone. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to add is that I also have about three hundred and fifty thousand uh, in between a. Rollover uh, IRA and a 457 that I still have with the state. So. Okay, well, we know this for certain. You should not be making Roth contributions to the 401k right now or 457. And the right reason now. you say that, Pat, is because you're in a highest income that you've probably ever been in your life. You're, I'm guessing your pension was probably 80 to 90 percent of your final pay, and then you're a half time annuitant. So you take that, you're probably at 130 to 140 percent of what your income was when you were working, and you're just said that you're going to move to a lower-income tax state. Both of those yeah. are lower-income tax. Nevada, at this point in time, is zero. Yeah, because right now, you're probably around a 9 You're probably paying about 9% in state income tax. And if you moved to Arizona, you'd probably be 3 or 4 And if you moved to Nevada, it'd be zero. So what you're doing is you're actually paying taxes on it, putting it into a Roth in order to draw those dollars out in a, in a state where there's no or lower taxes. So we know that you should be making a deductible pre-tax contribution to your 457 or 401k or whatever the qualified plan is. Um, then the question is... Yeah, and that's what I did initially when I first started uh, back in July of 18. I was putting that money into the, the regular 457, the pre-tax one. That's and, what, and towards the end of the year in December, if you guys remember, at the end of December of last year, was it not last year in 2018 when that dip went down? Mm -hmm. That kind of scared me, so I thought, wow, I'm putting this money in there, and it's just going away. So, Oh, well, so think I, about I this. Thought. So a couple of things to think about. One is your pension is is enough to make maintain, really cover your living expenses, right? And the money, yes, you're, the money you're saving in your, your payroll deduct, that's really for long-term savings. So if you're, when you're buying something, you want things to go be on sale, not go up in price. So if you're putting money in, if the stock market goes down, you should be happy because you get to buy things cheaper. And it, you're not, you're 56 right? years of age. We're talking about money you're going to use 15, 20, 25 years from now. It's a long, long time. And it's going to go up and down a lot in that time period. But if you switch, if you're going to go back to a pre tax, you should increase from 1250 to the to, maximum that to you can. To 1500 or 1800 
the maximum that you can put in there. Because, because oh no, if I did that, I would definitely go ahead and max out whatever. I'm not sure if it's eighteen thousand or something like. Well, that. actually, so you have the ketchup. Does. Plus the ketchup. Plus you actually may have. Do you work for the state or is it a county? The state. Okay, and you have a four fifty seven and four hundred one k available. Yeah, he doesn't need to save that much of it. Unless you really want to. Unless you. Unless, yeah, I, I agree how much with you, do you have? How much do you have in the bank? Uh, I work right now. I actually have about maybe sixty thousand in savings. Yeah, then I'd save as cash. much as you could. Yeah, put as much as you can. Because you're in a higher, you're in a high tax bracket, and when you quit working in four years, you're going to have your pension. Yeah. So put as much as you yeah. possibly can uh, into that, and put an allocation of approximately sixty percent stock and forty percent bonds and cash. You could actually find an advisor that will. And how much is in your Roth now? Your Roth four hundred one k. The Roth 401, there's not that much. There's about maybe 7000 in there. So. Okay. okay. And I don't know if I'd pay down extra on that mortgage either. It's a hundred. You're going to walk with a couple hundred thousand dollars in equity, and you got sixty grand in the bank. And you're in a high tax bracket, high situation right now. I like the idea of you. A hundred percent of the uh, as much as you the can. much as you possibly can into the um, into your pre-tax 457 and 401k. You can use them both because you're an employee of the state of California. All right, Art. Yeah, because I'm, I'm right now. I'm looking at about. Uh, I'm looking at about maybe 165 to 170 yeah. Uh, income. Yeah, so yeah. And you, and once you quit high. work, once you quit working, you will not have this high of an income again, right? You you just won't. So the one benefit when someone's in their 50s, and this is why it takes really careful planning. When you're in your 50s, you have a pretty good window of what your tax situation is going to look like in your retirement years. A much better window than when you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s. And that's why I think it's important to go through these sort of scenarios and say, when does it make sense to do a Roth? When does it make sense to do something something different? So appreciate the call, Art. We're going to continue with calls. Uh, 833-99-WORTH is our number. Let's uh, talk with Tim. Tim, you're with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. All Worth's Money Matters. Great. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Tim. Well, uh, I'm calling because about a week ago I heard Pat uh, discussing – when he considered having solar put on his home and he was listening to the uh, advice and suggestions of the salespeople that they kept, he kept questioning them, so when does it become an investment? And they kept saying, well, you're going to save a couple hundred dollars a month on this and that. Anyway, I, and then he, something how it got, the conversation got diverted, and I never heard the end. How did he rationalize purchasing uh, solar, if he did, or how did he rationalize um, not purchasing? So, <laughs> so I, I don't know. Okay, so uh, I, uh, I'll tell you what we went through. So when they came out to the house, and you know, quite frankly, I I have no choice. I view things in life through the lens of a, a, a return. Return. I. It, it's just sure. who I am, right? And sometimes, so even though it'd be part of the green team, it'd be less taxed on the environment. Would probably put the fires out in Austria, Australia if you put the right. solar panels. That's that 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 that's right, and that's all good and fine. But if it had if if the return was so bad that it made no sense, I'd be better out there planting trees. So when they came to my home, they tried to sell me the full scale. You know, cover every inch of your roof with this stuff. I get it. And I went back and said, just bring me down. So I at the time I had four children living at home. And for somehow they were born with a disease where they can't turn a light switch. Uh, it only goes one until way. Until they actually pay their right. – until they have a job to generate income and they pay their own utilities. They, they don't understand that. They, they confuse. They think the refrigerator door is an air conditioner and it remains open. <laughs> you, you get the story. I get it. So I said, bring me down off the top tier – so when the, if you look at the tiered, and I don't know what it is in other states, but in the state of California, it's a tiered energy. So for every um, little bit more that you use, they charge you more for it's it. It's progressive. So it, much like a tax yeah. table. More so, energy, the higher you are at that particular level. So I said, Agreed. rather than you guys doing this analysis and bringing me down to zero, bring me down off the top tier and show me what I'll have to spend and bring me down off of the second tier and show me how I have to spend. So I now have enough solar on my home that took me out of the top two tiers in the energy uh, grid in terms of that. So that is where I got the highest rate of return. There's a hurdle rate on the rest of it, right? So the other part is, well, what would be for each other solar panel that I put in, it, it would have a, 
a shrinking marginal rate of return on that. Uh, and at that point in time, I wasn't prepared. Now, in saying all this, I was putting a new roof on at the same time. So yeah. it wasn't like they were tearing up my existing roof. It was all going to be done at once. And by the way, the, an ex, uh, putting a new roof on is a terrible um, return on investment, other than it keeps your house intact. Which is, yeah, you <laughs> do need that. the key. Yeah. So does that answer your question? Uh, in, in part. Uh, what I've done is uh, I did put a new roof on about five years ago, and that was an ordeal in itself. I didn't put it on, but just dealing with the contractor to get it done. Uh, so I have the new roof, and so I know I've got extension life on that, that it would be worth if I put panels on top of it, that, that they would kind of marry out or live out their lives together, hopefully. Yes. Uh, what, what concerns me is uh, when you try to get uh, comparative analysis between the different companies that offer the services, they all kind of approach it with a little different equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's hard for me to uh, – the only way it seems to make any sense is to put a whole bunch of money down in cash and, and buy the system up front where you get more reduction in cost. And the financing just seems like a tr trading off. I actually did a I did a one payment lease. Huh? Is that what I did? I did a single payment lease. It was a twenty year single payment lease. I see. And the, I'm just thinking back when I put solar on, and then they took the tax they credit. They the tax credit. I didn't get the tax credit. I ran the numbers both ways, and for whatever reason at the time, that was the decision I made. And I did very similar to what Pat did. I don't have a system big enough to so I have zero. Because uh, it's you don't get a return. It's it it, it diminishes significantly yeah. quickly. But that that was also six seven years ago when I did that, and things have changed. Yeah, and I, I I bought mine. I bought mine, but I have another friend who didn't think he was going to be in the house very long, and he and he did a uh, energy lease back some sort of gobbledygook that um, that did it. If so lease is fine. Yeah. So it's whatever you know what what strive. I expected that I'll be in this house. Uh, for quite some time, and I was comfortable paying cash out front. But you're right. It's hard to compare because everyone's bringing in a different set of numbers, and you're trying to compare different spreadsheets that may not be relevant to each other. Well, one of the uh, initial uh, instigators for me was the recent PG&E uh, down uh, times. Mm -hmm. And I, I live in the country, and I have a well, and uh, I don't have any. And then when the uh, so I thought, gee, I, I'll get the backup battery. Yeah, well, get the battery. It turns yeah. out to be rather minimal. <laughs> yeah. So, so to get the bigger battery costs more, and there's still limitations. So yeah. then you go to a generator to augment the system, and now you're really jacking up the cost. Yep. And so my initial impact of wanting to have power Kerosene when PG&E was down is null. <laughs> yep. Well, that's a whole that's different. Null. That's a whole different issue, though, isn't it? Kerosene okay. lamps. Back to the day. Yep. So we appreciate right. the call, Tim. Thanks for sharing. Yes, the low sir. cost is the kerosene lamps. Yeah, but you, oh, we can't get into PG&E. We can't talk about that right now. Because I have absolute opinions that um, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> I'm kind of curious on your... The, 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 the maintenance and upkeep on uh, the system was... Uh, was a trade-off bet between that and profit. And quite frankly, if we looked at the last uh, energy crisis, PG&E offered the distribution. Uh, I recall, I might be wrong, that there was some discussion about uh, the, P the distribution system being sold off to the state of California. Because quite frankly, if you're in... She's that, saying the problem was a for-profit company. That was part of it, is, is the regulatory environment allowed... Uh, they also put all kinds of other mandates on. Well, that was that was that that if they had half the mandates and said take those dollars and put them for maintenance, it would have been a different. And it may not be PG&E's fault. They have a profit motive, but they would. They had solar mandates, green mandates that may have created some of this. But anyway, that's yeah. all I'm going to say on that. I was just kind of wondering: is there's clearly issues with private companies? There's profit motive, the greed of the owners, whatever. But. So is we, there in government. Of course. It's human nature. It's human nature, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it might be easier to hide in the government than it is. You think? Because you don't have to, anything to measure the output. Let's uh, go to, you know, it's really, I mean, we're going to take Elizabeth here in a second. Um, I had a friend of mine was, uh, 
involved in a company. They did some sort of software that can tell uh, water districts where their leakage was. Okay. Right? Yeah. Big kind of a nice makes thing. Something that makes a lot of sense. Um, and he worked at this for great product a couple of years. The sales cycle was so long because no one in the power companies had any incentive to move on this. Because you mean the water companies? I mean, the water companies. The water companies. Government job. Municipality. Municipality. There was no motive for anyone. There wasn't an economic motive. But there was a lot of risk in making the wrong decision. That's correct. They might lose their job. They might lose their wrong Get demoted. Job. Yeah. Bad press. We're in a poor public company. It may have said. Someone the challenge with utilities, because I mean, like a water is just quasi. Not, it's not like you can't. I mean, I could choose to go Target.com or Amazon.com or walk into Costco, and I can make those trade-offs all the time as a consumer. You don't have that choice when you're talking about your water or your power. Well, we need to take a quick break. Uh, if you'd like to join the program, 833-99-WORTH. This is Scott Hansen and Pat McLean's All Worth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Uh, if you'd like to be part of us again, love to take your call. And we appreciate taking calls just about anything financially related, particularly if it has to do with uh, retirement or uh, maybe you're looking for a second opinion. Someone's uh, recommending some strategy, you're wondering if it makes sense, or they're pitching you some financial product, and you're wondering, should, does that make sense to you? By the way, if you're, talk, if you're talking to a financial advisor and you're trying to solve a problem and they lead with a product... Run away. Yeah. Run away. I mean, understanding the, the, the problem that's trying to be solved and coming up with a, a couple different solutions, that should be the first step. Products are tools to fix problems. So anyway, to join the program, 833-99-WORTH. And we are in Sacramento, California, talking with Mike. Mike, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, so um, the reason I'm calling is that uh, I'm looking to consolidate um, a bunch of retirement accounts. Um, and so I've got a, a simple IRA that has a, uh, a Pacific Life um, portfolio growth optimization growth annuity in it. And... Um, when I talked to um, the uh, where I want to place the money, as far as um, consolidating goes, then he could I had to had to liquidate or surrender that annuity first. And this annuity is a simple IRA that I haven't looked at or touched. I've basically just been ignoring for for a decade or more. Right? Okay. So how long? Um, not really quick. How long is this simple? When was the last time you put money into the simple annuity? It's been over ten years. Okay. And were you self-employed or you worked for a small company that offered it? I was self-employed at the time. Okay. So what's your question for us? So so he, he brought up the uh, issue of surrendered costs, and he said it could be up to like 10%. So at that point, if it is a 10% surrender cost, is it doesn't make any sense to move it what over. What kind of – I, mean, I can't imagine – What's the name of the annuity Pacific product? Pacific Life. Yeah, but what? what Pacific is it, Life. Is it like the – what's it called? Portfolio Optimization Growth Annuity. I love these names. <laughs> Is that right? yeah, Doesn't everyone want portfolio optimization <laughs> growth? How could you go wrong? <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, the return on it's been so so. It's been underperforming the market, but obviously the the fees on it are, are more. Uh, excessive than just well. Do you have so? I'm, we're trying to understand if this is a variable annuity, which we think it probably is. Yeah, or, it is. It is a variable annuity. Yeah. Okay. So you have some other investment options within there. You can make changes to if you want. It's not an equity index annuity. No, it doesn't you know, sound actually, like. I don't, you know, I, I like I say, this thing's been, I've been ignoring it for years, right? And and have a, you seen some ups and downs in it? Yes. Okay, okay. so it's probably a variable annuity. Uh, and My guess is there's no surrender charge on it at this point in time. Yeah. Okay, so the, the risk is minimal then just uh, – well, uh, But if there's no risk call. at all, you can call. I mean, the, the advisor that actually told you that – that's what we kind of question. was kind of lazy. I mean, because typically, okay. variable annuities typically have a surrender charge of seven, maybe eight years. And Pacific Life's a big company, fairly reputable company. Um, I, they don't have a lot of garbage products. That might, they have some expensive products. They don't have a lot of garbage products out there like some of these other 
insurance companies have. Um, and so uh, their products are designed in such a way that they're not going to be 15-year surrender charges or 20-year surrender charges like you might see from some equity index annuity. So the fact that this has been around this long and you haven't... It's made- actually on your statement. We'll tell you what the surrender yeah. value is. You don't even have to call okay. them. And my guess okay. is, my guess is there is no surrender charge on this. You're, the advisor was right how telling sm- you. How small was this? Uh, that's how much is, in, yeah. is the value of it? Yeah. Uh, $67,000. Yeah. So my, my guess is that, that, that the advisor is just being lazy. It's uh, weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just being lazy. Was it, in, was it a big discount firm that you were talking to? Uh, Wells Fargo, uh, Wells Fargo advisors. Well, then look at, look, 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 you got to go find another advisor. You start the relationship. Yeah. You start the relationship with that, that, right? You're just trying to make your life simple by consulting yeah, a bunch and of then, And the guy said, well, give me the money, but you do all the work and I'm going to throw out some, <laughs> You're I'm going to spew some answers that may or may not be right. And by the way, uh, you could get if, if 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 any of my advisors was sitting across a table from you uh, and giving you advice and they answered like that, I would go ballistic. And by the way, our advisors are supposed to listen to this radio show. So <laughs> now, they- <laughs> so now, and the reason is is because it's on your statement. Yeah, we're not trying to pitch our firm versus uh, no just, versus, but you're not. You're you're. At the it's wrong a strange. Place. It, it just seems strange to me when you go to someone and I'm trying to consult the accounts. And there's a sixty-seven thousand. That's meaningful. Any account, I don't care if it's six hundred bucks. Uh, you know, we all work hard for our money, right? It didn't. I don't, I'm assuming you didn't weren't born on third base, and every dollar you got saved, you worked hard and you saved hard for those dollars. And sixty-seven thousand dollars is not a small account, and it's yeah. important to you, and it's important to your retirement. And the fact that he was just flipping and said it's, it might be too, it's probably going to cost you up to ten percent. Which is, by the way, if I was a betting man, I would say it cost you zero. Yep, I would too. And all you got to do is just okay. pick up. There's an 800 number on there. Call the 800 number if it's not on your statement. The and it should value. be on the statement. It will say surrender value. Um, okay. Yeah. Any other questions for us, Mike? No, that was basically it. Like I said, I'm looking to consolidate, and, and that was the one thing that's causing the problems. Because everything yeah. else is, um, you know, just in, in equities and index funds. And, that and the reason you support. have – here's pro- my guess is the reason you have this – uh, set up as whoever set up you have it in an annuity is whoever set up this simple IRA back in the day. Um, you, you were making you know eight thousand dollars a year deposits or whatever, mm-hmm. and the the challenge is what ends up happening is the financial advisor says how am I going to get paid on something so small and they sell you a product that has a relatively high commission on it. That's right. Yeah, now, now that I'm a little more knowledgeable yeah. about it, yeah, no, it's a fairly expensive product to get into. Yeah, absolutely. There, I mean, there were times when they there were some uh, they had some features that made some sense for these guaranteed minimum income benefits back in the day, but this probably doesn't have one of those on there. But it it may it may, and if it's got that, something that says you got that, a, a guarantee of, of of guaranteed income off eighty or ninety thousand dollars, then your advisor shouldn't move it at all. Okay, right. Do you, do you know if there's any guaranteed benefits, living no, benefits? You've started a relationship with a with a firm that that that. Well, don't blame the firm. There's the great advisor. advisors okay. there too. You started a relationship with a gentleman or or lady that works at the firm that isn't. Is they shouldn't have sent you packing on this one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, but, I mean, one of the right. most complex products out there. They're all very complex. But, but Scott, but you know, good point though. This thing had a guaranteed minimum income benefit. It may make sense for Mike to keep it. And Mike might say, well, I want to consolidate it. And the advisor would say, well, good for you. You can consolidate it if you want. But if it has these guarantees on it, if you've already paid for them, it may make sense for you to continue to own this That's product. Right. And what happens there is the advisor won't get paid on that because it's held outside their firm. But who cares? But who cares? Right. But that's a discussion okay. that the advisor should actually be having with you. Yeah. And do the analysis. You shouldn't be calling a radio show if you've engaged an advisor to ask these questions, Mike. Although we appreciate the call, and I'm glad you called. <laughs> yeah. All righty. It just it, it, threw, it threw me for a loop, and I wasn't quite sure. Understandably. How to see yeah, as it should have. Yeah. And as it should have. And I hope that advisor is listening to the show. Yeah. Right, well, thank you very much, Jeff. Yeah, it's kind of like going I shouldn't to the, say advisor, the salesman, is what it sounds like. Like going to the doctor and saying my get it for your physical and say it hurts when I raise my arm and they say we can't deal with that you know go figure that out on your own <laughs> right. Right? right without even running you through another 
expert. Although I went in for a physical a couple of weeks ago, and unfortunately, the doctor knows that I have this radio show. And right away, he's like, okay, Pat, how's the market? I'm like, I'm here for a physical, buddy. He wants to talk about the... F- we did talk about it. Nice enough, guy. We got around to my medical, my physical, which I was there for. <laughs> we got around to it. He's a nice guy. He's a, he's, he's, I like the guy, but like later on in the, uh, in the conversation, we'll talk about your portfolio. Yeah, how about, how about uh, you can come in my office, we can talk about it. And when I'm in your office, we'll talk about my health needs. That's Deal? Right. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. Either that or maybe when, uh, yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. But but the thing about we'll rally we'll rail against products sometimes on here and a lot of annuities are just bad products. That's There's right. a lot of bad annuities. A lot. There are a few out there that are okay, and some of the older ones make, are actually fairly. There's some. I had a client years ago. He, he had a fixed annuity. He was a retired teacher. He bought this thing. Maybe it started in the seventies. You didn't sell it to him. Someone no, else no, no. sold it to him. Right. But it had a guarantee in it. My guess. Five percent. You, why would you get rid of that? I said, we're not getting rid of this. It's a guaranteed 5% on your safe money, That's well, on your most conservative money. The insurance company wants you to get rid of it. Of course they do. They're losing money on it. But I'm like, it makes no sense to get rid of this at this point. Yes. You, you, Was it I, the best choice then? Probably not, but it turned out okay. He would have made more money if it was in something right. else over there. But the fact is, at this stage in his life, we said, let's keep this in place. We'll, we'll manage around it, but we'll use this as a, a good bond uh, equivalent. At 5%, many people would love to have that. Because the fact is there are sometimes, even when we hear you hear us talking about, or same thing with life insurance products. We're not a big fan of whole life or universal life, but there are times when we see these products that people have had, or, and they make sense to keep. Or some of these newer asset-based long-term care life insurance policies may make sense, especially if they could cover two people and you have liquid cash. Just understand what you're buying. The problem is most people can't tell good from bad. So we say annuities are, in general, bad. Stay away from them. But when you go in for a financial advisor and you've got some some things that you sold, at a very minimum, they... <laughs> they I mean, there are times when someone someone will come in, they, they bought some non-traded REIT years ago, we can't. We, can't, we don't even know anything about the thing. Yeah, we it's, can't find the price on it because there's no market. There's nothing in the prospectus that would tell us the price. There's nothing there. But on an on an any kind of annuity, you know what the surrender charge is. You well, could actually say, had this not been a radio show, I would have actually gone to the Google and looked it up. The and, Google and would have <laughs> the been, line. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not hard to get a hold of. it. Call a company up either. Anyway, all right. Uh, our contact number eight three three ninety nine worth to be part of our program. And we're talking with Steve in Northern California. Steve, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, Hi, I, my question, my question uh, involves these uh, five twenty nine college uh, education programs. Okay. Uh, my wife and I are in our late sixties, and we have a new one year old granddaughter, and we would like to sponsor a five twenty nine for her. Um and make uh, regular contributions to it in some form, and we really don't idea. know how this works. I've I've gone down to my bank and I've gone to, uh, you know, a couple of uh, my accountant, and you know it's pretty confusing. I was hoping that maybe you guys could give oh, me some guidance towards how easy. to uh, properly navigate the the five twenty nine program. Easy, easy, easy. Where does your does your grandchild live in California as well? No, unfortunately, no, no, not unfortunately. They live in South Carolina, so yes, it is out of state. Okay. okay, so most states do not allow for any tax deductions on contributions. California clearly does not. So um, if you had a grandchild in California, it wouldn't matter if you use California's plan or another state's plan. And he lives in California. The tax deduction would go to him anyway because he wants to keep it in his name, not in you the, get a point there. the parent's name or the grandchild's name. So easy enough. Go to scholarshare.com. You're in the state of California. You're going to make it super easy for you. Just go to scholarshare.com. Type it in. You're the owner. The grandchild is actually the beneficiary. You want to use the aggressive age-weighted plan. 
As simple as that. Yeah, one year old, right? Yep, yep. You're going to use, there's two plans that you would look at. Well, there's lots of different plans, but the one you want is the aggressive age weighted plan. Not the age weighted, but the aggressive age weighted. And plan. Or Vanguard's got a plan as In well. The state of Utah okay. is where uh, Vanguard's, that's the one we, we use as well. You can use the Vanguard one or you can use the state of California one. But either which way, those would be my two options that I would recommend or Scott would recommend. You just go on. I mean, I use the state of California's for um, my kids. I did as well. I did as well. And I think TIAKREF is, uh, they're all fairly low cost these days. Yeah. Um, Pretty competitive. So it's not difficult. You're not going to receive a tax deduction for it. The dollars are going to grow tax deferred and they're going to come out tax free. When it comes time to distribute you, the be, money, you'll be listed as the account. What do they call it? The owner, account owner, the owner. And then you could set up a, a successor. So perhaps it's your wife's successor, or it could be your your child to be the successor for your grandchild's dollars. And so there's full okay. control. Um, not every 18 year old is heading right for college, right? I mean, um, no, no. And no. you can change the the beneficiary on it at any time. So let's say this child says no. I'm not going to go to college. Um, you can actually change the beneficiary to another child or grandchild or anyone, including yourself or your wife, if you want it. If this child were to decide uh, not to go to college but to go into the military or something and take advantage of the GI Bill or, or uh, education while in the service, uh, does this conflict at all well, with GI listen, Bill? Or it, right like? now, it w- it would it would conflict but we're talking and i'm assuming the gi bill is not going to cover 100 percent of education costs so these can be used for not just tuition but room and board board and and we're talking about something that's going to take place 18 years in the future right and in the uh in the event that none of it is needed one you could always change so let's let's assuming that this you're probably going to have more grandchildren i'm guessing but you never know let's assume that that happens you could always change if one of your grandkids doesn't need the money for whatever reason uh, that you can change the beneficiary. If the unlikely event that you have no grandkid that has any financial need for college whatsoever, the money could be withdrawn. And if, if that's the case, then there would be taxes on the gain plus a 10% penalty on the gain. But you can use it for trade schools. And uh, is the new rule out? And your own education. For, yeah, how about for a private high school? Is that now in the new rule? Do I remember that wrong? I don't think so. I forget that now. Anyway, so don't quote right. us on that one, but I believe it will actually pay for private high school. When you go okay, to my, do, do my, this, uh, my son went to a military school, you know, a private military school, so it would be that's an important consideration. Got it. In South Carolina? Uh, no, in Wisconsin. Oh, got it. Um, so, uh, you know, the reason I asked that because I was in Charleston and there's a private military high school there. That's where my son is. Okay. Uh, what's it called? Uh, St. John's Northwestern Military Academy in Delafield, Wisconsin. There we go. Um, Outstanding school. You can pay up to $10,000 per student per year to private middle or high school. That's from the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So that's the answer. When you go to do the distributions, you may want, if the grandchild goes to college, you may not want to do the distribution until their junior or senior year if it will affect their ability to receive federal, state, or scholarship aid. But that's a different subject. You're going to have to call back in 18 years, and we'll address that. I think this is the best way to save for your grand, our opinion, best way to save for your grandkids' education. And especially the grandparents doing it in their name because it doesn't become an asset of the parents or the grandchilds, which makes them more eligible for state or federal aid. And quite frankly, 18 years from now, everything could be free. We don't know. Let me ask you a separate, another question. Okay. As an all-worth client, uh, is this something that I would do through my consultant? Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they would they would actually do it. They would do it for you, and they probably choose the same asset that we just mentioned. We'd put it in the state okay. of California or Utah, but most certainly if you are using one of our advisors, they'll actually direct you that direction. They'll actually do it for you because that's what you pay us for right. is to make life easier for you. That's right. All right, Steve. You've right. been most helpful. Right, appreciate, appreciate the, the call, call and enjoy that little grandbaby, particularly a year old. That's the age when it just. Yes. Being a grandparent's got to be a great joy. Yeah. We're well, both in our mid 50s. So. Dep- I guess it We're depends. Not- <laughs> what do you mean? 
it depends on like who the son-in-law is. Is there a son-in-law? I, I guess the child itself would be a great joy, but all the stuff that comes with that. Ah, you just try to forget about all that stuff. <laughs> no. There's no family dynamic, anything. I was taking an Uber. Where was I? I was in Cincinnati this week. Uh, last week, and I was taking an Uber, and I was talking to the Uber driver about his grandkid. He goes, I love the grandkid. And he said, uh, I said, ah, about the, uh, this is your daughter's kid? How about the husband? He says, oh, we really shouldn't talk too much about that. But then he went on to tell me about his son-in-law and how. Well, the, the thing about that, Pat, is that's why even in planning, uh, it's important to, uh, look, I'll just be real, sometimes, uh, a, a spouse gets married. A ch- one of your children could marry someone who is their spouse could be quite domineering and controlling. And we've seen where assets are um, left to a child, an adult child who is seemingly responsible in every area of their life, but they have a, a, a domineering spouse that can suck through those dollars and spend those dollars. That's right. You see, you see it often. We've seen it. Yeah. And in your planning, in your estate planning, there's some things you can do to protect you, you can along put, the way. You can name a third-party trust and dole the money out over time. You can name a third-party trust that decides who's going to manage the money other than the child themselves. You can put all kinds of restrictions on it. There are a lot of different ways um, you can do this. Yeah. So, All right, we're going to continue on with calls here. Let's talk to Antoinette. Antoinette, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Good morning. Hi. Um, I have, uh, when I was working, I saved some money in a um, CalPERS uh, 457. And what I discovered, I, last year I decided to transfer it out because I wasn't making any money the way they had it set up. The way you had so it I set trans- up. Pardon? The way you had it set up. Well, what they have is that plan where you're at a certain age, I don't know what you call it. You yeah, required you required minimum distributions. Um, well, it's it was it was a plan where they, as the older you get, the more conservative. That's it right. Is. But and you chose so my, conservative. My, my point being is you chose that option. There as were a lot to of other options. There were a lot of different options that you had to choose from, but you chose that option. Which is so in any case tax deferred. Yes. yes. Okay. So, what's your question for us? So, what I did is, I last year I took it out and put it in a bank, and put it in an S and P five hundred. Now, I didn't realize that it's now a traditional IRA. Okay. So when I transferred it out of the plan, now I put that in an S and P five hundred, and I. I think I heard you say uh, at one point on the radio that it's not smart to put a traditional IRA in an S and P five hundred. No, you didn't hear us say right? that. No, no, no. Well, what what we what we did, what we may have said was that if you have money inside of an IRA and outside of an IRA, you may, for tax management, want to keep the S and P five hundred outside and the bond inside the IRA. Just for tax efficiency. I, I, but I would just say the vast majority of our clients who have IRAs have an S&P 500 position in their IRA. So yes. clearly would, would no. So we an- probably answered a question to a call that was very specific to that caller, oh, which okay. may not have applied to you. Now, the question that uh, I would have, which is yeah. you went from driving five miles an hour down the freeway to 85 with a blink of an eye, and there was no difference between – Right, you just went from five to eighty-five in terms of a risk level. Whether that was right or not, I don't know. You- but there's lots of there's lots of degrees between five miles an hour and eighty-five miles an hour. Mm-hmm. What is your primary question for us? Well, you answered it. Okay, so one of the things that you should are you because you've got required minimum distributions how- that are probably seven or eight percent of your account at this point. How Maybe old are higher. you? 80. Oh, you're 80. And what's going to happen with these monies when you die? Uh, they'll be uh, transferred to my daughters. Okay. And how old are your daughters? 45 and 50. Okay, so this is an appropriate investment for your daughters, assuming that you don't react to this portfolio in market declines. No, I don't. Okay, well, you, okay, you, you're sure of that. So if the market declines yeah. 30% next week, 
you're not going to liquidate this S&P 500 fund. No. Okay, beautiful. I'll buy, I'll buy more. Okay, beautiful. It's the right thing for you to do. I like the idea. The the, cha- the challenge you've got is um it, it it's the required minimum distributions that you have. And there's no way to avoid those. So maybe you put 20 or 30% yeah. of the portfolio in cash or bond or something equivalent to that. Scott? Yeah, I think it would make sense to have not 100% in the S&P because you're, the money you're going to need to take out. Um, you want three, maybe five years of dollars in that so that you're not selling yeah, into a down right. market. So I yeah. would probably, I agree with Scott, uh, because you have required minimum distributions. When you take the money out on the required minimum distributions right now, it's 7 to 8%. What are you doing with that money? Are you spending it? So or are you about, reinvesting? It's actually about 5%. I, AJ, just look at it. Are you, are you spending it? Or are you reinvesting? What are you doing? Well, I just took it, and I use it to spend. Okay. Do you, do you need those? I mean, is those extra dollars helpful for you in your lifestyle? No. How much money do you have in the bank? Um... I have a CD of a hundred thousand, and okay. I have thirty thousand in cash. Okay. Okay. So you're 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 fine on cash. Well, we were just making sure you've got enough yeah. cash. Yeah. And time. how much is money is in this IRA? How much is in the IRA? Yeah. The one uh, uh fifty two thousand. Okay. All right. You're fine. Keep it all the S and P five hundred. Keep it all the S and P five hundred. You're fine. But you might make sense having. Couple years, yeah, twenty percent. So it's fifty three thousand. Put, put ten grand. Take ten grand and move it into a. And then the take the distributions side, out of that. And then take the distributions. That out would of be that. to perfect it. But yeah. if you don't want to do anything, you're, you're fine. Pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're fine. What did you say? Put ten grand in what? In a bond fund, a short term bond oh, fund. Oh yeah, because I don't have any bonds. Yeah, took. But 10 you have grand. a lot of CDs relative to your overall net worth. I think the point is, what we don't want to do is be forced to sell stocks to require in a down market. To meet your required minimum distribution in some December of some coming year. And there will be a time when markets are down. And there will be a year when they're down in December. So um, to, to perfect oh. this, yes, to perfect this, you want to have three, four to five years, really, of, of RMD distributions that are not tied uh, to the stock market. So you don't have to sell in a down market. But that would be to perfect it. If you didn't do that, I think you're fine. If you just got off this phone call and said... I'm going to just leave things the way they are. I think it'll all work out just fine for you. And and frankly, if if because these dollars, you're not you don't want to take any more than required minimum distribution. And the plan is for you to leave them for your kids. Plus, you've got quite a bit in cash assets outside of this. We see nothing wrong with 100 percent of your portfolio in the S&P 500 based upon the fact that you said you are comfortable with that. And you you said you will not make any changes when the markets go down. So. Anyway, we are out of time. We're here every week at the same time, the same station. We'll see you at the next weekend. This has been Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.